Purple Capital is the, well, it's actually known as Purple Group, apologies, uh, is the uh, exponential company that we have in the business portfolio from South Africa. Our business portfolio um, stocks are exponential companies for the most part. Uh, and the reason why Purple's in there is because it owns 70% of Easy Equities. Easy Equities is a rapidly growing company in South Africa and elsewhere in the world. Chief Executive Charles Savage. Uh, who's a good friend of businesses. He's going to be at our conference in March next year. He's been a very popular contributor to the conferences over the past uh, couple of years, uh, is with us today to go through those results. Charles, I mean, let me hand it over to you, really, because there's lots of commentary on the numbers. What has happened with uh, Easy Equities, because that's kind of the core business that we talk about, uh, is that it had a tough time, as one would experience with the economic conditions in South Africa from the revenue perspective, but you've you've made a few plans and you're expanding internationally and things seem to be going in the right direction on many fronts, yet the profits uh, went backwards, you went from profit to a loss and uh, there are many commentators who say you're in trouble. How's it, Alec? Good to, to, good to be on a call, wait for the business conference as well. Um, yeah, let's start with the numbers that I think are really important. Uh, and so, you know, the things that we that we really track every single day are our customers growing and our assets growing, and um, because those are your are great predictors of future revenue. And both those numbers are growing at really good rates. So, you know, assets were up twenty five percent. The market delivered eleven percent of that return for our customers, and the rest was customers adding to their portfolios. And then customer numbers were up 18%, uh, which again, in the context of this environment, I think are really good numbers. And it's not 18% off a low base. You know, Easy Equities this time last year had something like 700,000 customers. So growing at about 18% is still a, it's a big number. Uh, so I'm very proud about those, those two, uh, you know, those numbers. Then revenue was moderately up, very small, less than a percent up. And again, in the context of this environment, I think that that was, that was a good result, a solid result. It, it's not the result that we'd hoped for, but then we couldn't have predicted the impact of the what I believe is a recession. I know people are still debating this, but I think we're deeply in a recession in South Africa, and we see it as a result of the impact of interest rates and therefore the cost of debt and the cost of living, and our customers just haven't had the capacity to invest at the same levels that they did in previous years. And new inflows, deposits, drive about 30% of our revenue. And so that was really, that was where the real pressure came from. And then if you go further down the income statement to the line that you talked about, profit, you know, we signaled to the market that we were raising capital this time last year to invest in growth. And that signal basically says the company doesn't have, the income statement is not strong enough to support the growth that's required, i.e. we need additional capital. And so we raised that $150 million, uh, in June or July uh, this year. And, and so it shouldn't be an unexpected result that the company isn't profitable in a period where our revenue lies under pressure because of the economics uh, that we find ourselves in. And secondly, we are purposefully investing in new products and new regions to deliver future growth. And so for me, I think it's a great set of results. You know, there's lots of improvement areas that will come that we'll focus on and will come, you know, we'll deliver on in the years ahead. And we've learned a hell of a lot from our first Easy Equities recession. You know, this is the first time we've traded through a tough market environment. But uh, I think if you balance all of those things, and then in the context of, our, of the competitive environment, I think we, we continue to do very well, and we're and the results are standout 
uh, in an environment where all of our competitors are showing outflows of capital uh, rather than inflows. We'll talk about the institutional flows into the company in just a moment, but on the retail side, in other words, individual investors, you now have nearly 900,000 active clients. First of all, how do you define an active client? And secondly, have any of those or has a, have a slice of those been impacted by this very difficult economy that we're seeing around us? Yeah. I mean, so active for us is invested. So they, you know, they have assets on the platform uh, that they invest. And you know, have they been impacted? It's been very interesting to see the impact. The impact is much more severe the lower the income group uh, is of the individual. The higher income groups, if you if you sort of you know, South Africa likes to use this LSM bands one to seven. So LSMs five to seven, your higher income bands have only uh, their their deposit rates have reduced by fifteen to twenty percent. So they've been much more resilient in this environment. Your lower income groups. So LSM one to five have been impacted from you know fifty percent up to a hundred percent. So i.e. they're either depositing at a rate that is fifty percent less than they did in the previous period, or they're not depositing at all. They've you know they've got they've left their assets on the platform and they're still investing, but they haven't found new um, new capital to invest. And fundamentally, that impact is has been correlated one to one with every single interest rate increase. And so as the interest rates have gone up, people's capacity to invest has gone down. And what it tells us is that our investors have got debt, you know, like and we know that about South Africans. And so the cost of debt has doubled in the period. And commensurately, the capacity for retail investors to invest has halved as that those interest rates have gone up. Um, and so there's very little we can do about it other than focus on still growing the platform and the customers and building a more resilient and better business so that when the tide turns, and we're seeing signals already of the tide turning, you know, US talking about interest rate cuts first quarter next year, UK talking about last quarter next year, South Africa will find itself probably in the middle of those two. And so we, we're, what we look forward to is as interest rates go down, we should commensurately see deposit rates going up and revenue recovering um, as, the, as the economic conditions uh, improve. Very practical correlation then that you're seeing. And maybe the guys in the Reserve Bank should be opening their ears and remembering that when they stick up interest rates because of the big economic questions that they're trying to answer, uh, they, sh- they are affecting real people every time it happens. Yeah. They took them, I think they took South Africans to the, to the breaking point when we look at the data. So had there been another high I think you would have found that we, we, well, we certainly would have seen outflows. So people would have then drawn on their investments to fund their lifestyle. So it kind of, it looks like they got it, if you like, almost perfectly right. You know, they, they slowed down the inflationary pressures whilst not destroying um, the capital bases of our investors. Yes, they had less capacity to invest, but they were still, they were still positive inflows, just positive inflows uh, on the platform. So you know, I think our customer base was right at the brink of, of having to make withdrawals to fund their lifestyle. Yeah, but the upside, I guess, is that as interest rates fall, you'll start seeing that turn around. Uh, on the institutional side, there were big inflows. In fact, in the past, it was 90% from individuals, 10% from institutions or companies. In this past year to the end of August, it was 60-40. So that's a big swing. How did that happen? Yeah, so... Institutional money is what you know. You and I would call pension fund money or retirement annuity money. It's compulsory money 
that gets taken off your income statement, your payroll, before you get to spend it. So you don't have a choice. It's it's not money that is at left after you've spent everything. And so it's much more resilient in tough times because you don't have the choice to abandon your retirement savings or your pension fund savings. And so in this environment, it really complements the retail business uh, because it's you know it's grown in a very tough environment. But the reason it's grown is that retail investors don't have a choice. They haven't been able to say, look, I need to stop investing in my retirement. It's compulsory. Uh, and so it's had a it had a much a much stronger result than the retail side of the business, but the two businesses work really well um, together. You know, if you think about institutional money, it it controls ninety five percent of JSE flows, and retail money only five percent. So you know, if you like, the pool of for growth uh, for easy equities is five percent of the JSE. The pool for growth for rise is ninety five percent of the JSE. And so over time, the institutional business should swamp the retail business um, as we get better and better at competing with some very mature and entrenched players. And then the international story, looking at your annual report, you now have companies in, well, you've had companies in Mauritius and Ireland for a while. You now have companies in the Philippines and Australia. We have spoken at some length about the Philippines. What's going on in Australia? Yeah, all of those, all of those companies are, are kind of future-proofing our growth story. So, you know, South Africa, if you like, it's, it's been a 10-year growth story. I think we've got at least another 10 years of growth, of exponential growth in this market. And so 80% of our focus remains just deliver on the partnerships and the products uh, and the client opportunities that are right in front of us. But 20% of our resources, time, efforts, you know, and where I spend my time is where's the next South African market going to come from? Where are we going to find growth that supports, if you even like, the next CEO and the next team that comes after 10 years, so 20 years ahead? And those are, the, you know, Philippines is, is a market opportunity that we're very heavily focused on. Australia, we're not heavily focused on. It's, it's, a, it's a nice little business, makes a small profit. It's a highly competitive environment. And our view is the longer we stay in market, the more the Aussies will trust us, the better we'll do. Um, and so we're not going to spend heavily on marketing in that region. And then, you know, Mauritius is really, it's just a, it's a structure. It's, it's not a business that we intend to grow. It's a business that's set up to structure to benefit from uh, tax efficiencies that we can get out of expanding into Africa, interestingly. So our, our African expansion story will happen out of Mauritius' office. Charles, if one has a look at your company from the outside, it's very busy. There's a heck of a lot going on. Does there come a time, due to econ uh, economics or through finance, that you start scaling back on that, start consolidating on that? Yeah, you know, Alec, Two years ago, I, I, I delivered our three-year strategy. So we've got one, one more year left on our three-year strategy. And if you like, the, if I summarize the strategy as I presented it, there were two, two attack points. One is keep growing our distribution in South Africa and, uh, and through partnerships, which we've done uh, you know, very well. And then two, keep growing the product stack that you deliver to those customers, which essentially means we want to uplift our ARPU, uplift the revenue by delivering more products and services to our customer base. And when we did that, we said at the end of three years, we want to be operational in at least one other significant region. And, at, uh, and on the product side, we said we want to have a product stack that is, I think it was 10. And we, at the time, we had three. We had easy properties, easy crypto, and easy equities. And so this last year, we delivered Easy Credit, we delivered Easy Protect, which is a life insurance product, and then more recently, Easy Bonds, which is 
South Africa's first fractionalized access to government bonds. Next year, we'll deliver three more products and in the, in the financial year. And if you like, at the end of that period, we've built all of the products that we set out to, to three years ago. And the question that then comes is, have we got another runway for 10 new products and are we going to be investing in additional product growth? Well, as I sit here today, no. Right? As I sit here today, you know, we're, we, th- we, don't, we don't have any product aspirations outside of the plans that we've already laid down in our annual report and previous annual reports. And so the focus in South Africa will shift towards scaling the products and consumption of those products that we've built. And then we will start to shift more resources to scaling the operations globally in the markets that we're, you know, that we're in. And hopefully that's the Philippines um, and potentially maybe one other. That's nicely laid out. It's not, nothing here is happening by accident. It's all been part of a strategy. Something that hasn't been part of the strategy uh, and a very welcome response has been what's going on with Easy Crypto or with the crypto markets. And I pulled that out. Um, Easy Crypto is the, the... easiest way for anyone to invest in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. And it's it's a significant operation. Even at the end of August, according to your annual report, you had 450 million rands worth of your clients' money invested in there, which is surely one of the biggest uh, chunks of, of any crypto investment in the country. But since then, the uh, Bitcoin price, and I suppose it shows the, the cryptos overall, has gone from $29,500, this is at the end of August when it was your year, uh, your financial year end, to $43,500. So that's up 47%. Now, you said in your report that a part of the uh, drawdown, as, uh, as you guys in the financial services, in other words, the reverse, the, the reduction in the profits was due on the crypto side anyway, to a uh, falling in the price. Now that the price is up 47% in the past few months, have you been seeing that flying through to the bottom line? Yeah, Alec, I mean, well noted. Um, and hopefully other people saw that too. But that business is is heavily leveraged into the price of the asset class because we make money on managing the, the uh, bundles, if you like, the sort of crypto ETFs, which are the most significant part of that business. And so the revenue will commensurately be up and will flow directly to the bottom line. There's no additional cost to serve that revenue line. So if we see uh, crypto prices inflate at these levels for the rest of the financial year, then people should be, they can take a straight line to the income statement of easy crypto and improve it by the asset improvements that they see in that asset class. Charles Savage is the chief executive of Purple Group. I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com.